you probably have picked up through the years that the fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday that precedes the celebration of the Nativity of Jesus, and the Feast of the Holy Family, the Sunday that follows Christmas, deals with Mary and Joseph. This particular uh, fourth Sunday, uh, in this cycle, we're dealing with what we call the Annunciation. On the other two cycles, uh, we have the Visitation, and we have the uh, appearance of the angel to Joseph in a dream, reassuring him that it was all right to take Mary as his wife, that what she was saying to him was true. That, uh, those events uh, are uh, occasions when Mary and Joseph are talked about. In the Feast of the Holy Family, we have the story of the presentation of Jesus in the temple, the finding of the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, and we also have the flight into Egypt. In those particular instances, we have Mary, Joseph, and Jesus all involved. This particular gospel that we hear today is a familiar one, maybe the most familiar we have of Mary, what we call the Annunciation. It's actually the second Annunciation because the angel Gabriel has earlier, six months earlier, appeared to Zechariah in the temple uh, area and told him that his wife, the well beyond childbearing years and thought to be barren, was going to conceive a child. And he cannot believe it and won't believe it. And as we know, he struck mute as a result of his unbelief, and his tongue is only loosened when John is born and it comes time to name him, and he writes on a pad in concurrence with Elizabeth, his name is John. Then his tongue is loosed and he gives all kinds of praise to, to God. But it's fascinating, this account and the ones that I talked about before for uh, uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent and for the Feast of the Holy Family, those particular passages all come from Matthew and Luke. They share with us what we come to call the infancy narratives. John and Mark make no mention of Jesus' younger years. They begin with the adult Jesus, beginning his public ministry after the adult John has, uh, for, uh, has cleared the way for him. But the fascinating thing about the infancy narratives in Luke and in Matthew is that probably the greatest discrepancy uh, occurs in terms of what happens to Jesus after his birth. Matthew, of course, speaks about the flight into Egypt. He also, of course, mentions the arrival of the Magi and the fact that when they do not return to Herod on the advice of an angel, that Herod sends soldiers to kill Jesus. And that Mary and uh, Joseph make that uh, perilous, uh, probably primarily under darkness, flight into Egypt. And 
end up staying there for seven years. They don't, uh, Matthew doesn't mention the presentation of Jesus in the temple. And Luke, who talks about Simeon and Anna making that considerable fuss about Jesus and, and telling Mary that a sword would pierce her heart, they don't, uh, or he doesn't speak at all about the flight into Egypt. And so I think the, our assumption on that is that, uh, that uh, uh, Luke just did not know about the events with Matthew. It's entirely possible that Jesus on that eighth day would have been purified, would have been circumcised, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, then uh, Joseph got the message to get the child and his mother uh, out of, uh, uh, out of uh, Bethlehem. So uh, it's fascinating, but at the same time, it gives us uh, an appreciation that, you know, these are different sources that we're getting, and, and, uh, and that we can trust the, the fullness of Scripture. I've always been fascinated by the story here of the Annunciation. It's kind of like our introduction to someone we know so well and have known since we were little children, our Heavenly Mother Mary. The angel Gabriel, who also, as I say, appeared to Zechariah, was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth. Oh yeah, we know about Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. Oh yes, we know about Joseph. And the virgin's name was Mary. Hello, Mary. It's our first introduction to Mary in the scriptures. And he says to her in words that are troubling, Hail full of grace. The Lord is with you. Well, first of all, how overwhelming it would be for a young Bedouin girl, probably right around 16, poor, as all of the Bedouins were there, to have an angel appear to her and to speak those kinds of words. And in that troubling moment, the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This had to be so staggering for Mary. She in no way was even thinking of this as a possibility for her life. I think she probably had the joyful anticipation of marrying Joseph, but certainly nothing like what the two of them were going to be going through eventually. And it wasn't like she was auditioning for this part. Oh, my girlfriends are going to be so jealous when they find out what's happened to me. Oh, she's very humble as she accepts the news of this and, uh, and, and declares after the angel explains to her how this can take place, though she has not had relations with a man, that she is open. However uncertain the future lies, however frightening it might seem to somebody who is just uh, barely educated in a formal way anyway, and she says very humbly, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And we know that that was her attitude all the way through. And we know that once Joseph had, had encountered the angel in his dream and reassured that what seemed impossible, that Mary was going to have a child without sexual relations, that this story was true and he could trust her, he himself was 
courageous beyond imagining as that Bedouin man who was in charge of getting Mary and the child to safety. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, the contrast is interesting, and I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but the contrast with the first reading is interesting from the second book of Samuel. And we know that King David was favored by the Lord, and we know he was well-intentioned when he says, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Well, that's well-intentioned, and in fact, Nathan the prophet says to him, go do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night the Lord spoke to Nathan, it says, and says, go tell my servant David, should you build me house to dwell in? It was I who took you from the pasture and from the care of the flock to be commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. And I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. I will fix a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their place without further disturbance. I will give you rest from all your enemies. And the Lord says in, in a way that we understand, and I think probably David did too, but uh, was speaking more as a, as a king than he was as a shepherd boy, that, uh, uh, that, he, that the Lord makes his kingdom and his dwelling place beyond anything humans can imagine. But that we, David, and certainly uh, we, the followers, will enjoy his house and his kingdom shall endure forever, that his throne shall stand firm forever. And so it's a wonderful reminder to us that what's pleasing to the Lord is that humble kind of response that Mary makes rather than the more presumptuous statement that, that King David makes, well-intentioned though it might have been. So we find ourselves just days away from celebrating the nativity. It's a, it's a different thing, isn't it, each year? We know, of course. I mean, it's not like uh, we're with the shepherds listening to the angels and hearing this news for the first time. We've celebrated Christmas after Christmas. And sometimes it, uh, it might seem like it all comes, you know, together without uh, us really recognizing the, the worth of each and every Christmas celebration. But we know it's at the heart of who we are, that the child, the baby Jesus, is born, that the, he grows to become the Savior that opens up for us the gates of heaven. And so it is that this is, even in this difficult time in our country, in our world, with our families and the health situations that we're, we're dealing with, it still becomes a time of great celebration. I hope you're able to join us. It sounds like if you were going to choose between the two, better to choose Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve. We're absolutely full with our sign-up list, and, and we have to follow the guidelines in that, but I think we're going to be uh, having plenty of room for our 8.30 Christmas morning Mass. The one Christmas Eve, by the way, especially if you're signed up for it, is at 7 p.m., but it'll be a great time for us to gather as a parish family, 
And, uh, and of course, also, as you know, our, our, our sister parish is St. James and Mason, and they also have a 7 p.m. Mass that is not full, so far as I know, uh, for Christmas Eve. So that's another option for you. But I'm thrilled to be able to celebrate both the Christmas Eve and the Christmas morning Mass here and look forward to seeing all of you.